Thanks for listening to the First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco Sermon Podcast. We pray it is a blessing to you and that it brings glory to our Heavenly Father. You can learn more about us by visiting us online. Just go to www.firstpresbyteriansf.org. Now in me I had a really good week. I, I want to say, uh, say, uh, tell you all, I, I don't, I don't know if I really got a chance to tell anybody or tell everybody, but, um, I'm part of a, a group of pastors that meets every year to, to encourage each other. So this is like the first like pastoral meeting I've been to since, uh, I guess January of last year. So this is uh, it was quite, it was quite refreshing. We're in St. Simon's Island. So it was really, really a time of joy, time of joy. So uh, having pastors from all over the country, these are pastors from, uh, from uh, uh, up, up in uh, New Haven and uh, Connecticut, and pastors from the Midwest, uh, Wisconsin, one of my good friends in Wisconsin, another good friend of mine up in Spokane, Washington, uh, another pastor down in Arizona. And as we were all talking, coming from the different places that we were in, uh, stories really began to kind of come together. More story. I didn't have a lot of these kinds of stories, but because different parts of the country have opened at different speeds and have had different rules and different kind of tolerations about what's acceptable under COVID, their churches have suffered tremendous disunity. Let me say that again. Their churches have, have suffered tremendous disunity. In fact, the stories were so, I had heard them over the year and then to gather together and to hear just the, the, the depths and, the, and all of the pathos coming out. What, what am I referring to? Well, in the past year, we've had major crises arise politically or racially and with COVID and other things like this. And what these have created are these factions. And these are factions in the world, factions in our society at large. But these have have really affected the church. And 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 so these guys are telling saying things like just losing tons of people because angry and outraged that anybody would ask them to wear a mask. Conversely, on the other side, having the same kind of conversation with other people, outraged, angry, furious that anyone would even consider not wearing a mask and be so unloving to their brothers. And in fact, this kind of posturing, that's just one, one issue. This kind of posturing is how it's wounded me. I've had friends actually turn away from me in the midst of all this. And, and this division has just been painful. And our, our little community has it. We haven't experienced quite, we've had some of it though. It's been some of it in our fellowship. And, uh, and I'm so I'm interested, and now that we're going back to physical worship, it even occurred to me, maybe, maybe, maybe the move back to physical worship will, will kind of open up a, a Pandora's box, and maybe we'll lift the, kind of lift up the rock and see that it may be even in our fellowship, in, this, in our small community of, of faith, maybe there's, maybe there's some division, maybe there's some rancor, maybe there's some problems, and maybe there's more antipathy or less unity than we think. So I was attracted to this poem. I was attracted to this poem. I want to preach about this poem. I want to explore it. And as we explore it, I think we're going to find some things. We're going to find why we can have hope for unity, why David could. Remember, David was a man of war. And David's going to help us because David knows what disunity is. 
when you have killed a man with your bare hands, you know, you're aware intimately, like he was, of what human hatred does and what it can accomplish. And so he was very aware of that problem. And this poem, he, he, he opens it up for us, and we're going to take a look at it and take a look at how it towers in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus and how it, and how it invites us into extravagantly hoping. There's something kind of extravagant in God's love here in this text. I think you'll see as it kind of sets up, sets up Jesus, really. So uh, that's that's what I'm. That's our, our plan of attack here is to first look for the the the, possi- the possibility of hope for our unity. Then second, the the breadth of our unity that we should have together as Christians. And finally, the extravagance, the extravagant love that our Father shows us in our unity and through our unity. And uh, so that's, 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 that's the plan of attack. Now um, let's begin with the first point, but what I want to do is one of the things I was introduced to was I want to, I want to show you a picture. Now this picture I'm about to show you is from a dance, a dance group. And the dance group was a very small group. I can't remember the name, but of the group itself, but this was from a, a piece of theirs called rest energy. And, and, and this was from uh, the dance couples Marina and Ule Abramovic, right? And this was actually from the 70s, I think. But what they did was they created a, a dance uh, uh, that, that included this, this, what you're about to see in the picture I'm going to show you. And they wanted to somehow portray trust. But something about this, and this was actually this picture, this, this story of this I'm about to show you was, was shared by one of the pastors there. And I... I think it, it's pretty powerful, and, I, and I, I think it points out maybe some of the problem, too, I'm hoping it will, of this problem of unity, unity. And this is, what it, this is an example of it. This is a real bow and arrow. That is a steel-tipped arrow. And what they would do is they would, uh, the, uh, she would grab the bow, as you can see with her hand. She'd grab the handle. Then her husband would grab the arrow and pull back. And you see that their, their arms are, 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 are tensioned here. They're, they're both pulling back. And this is a deadly situation. This is a deadly, deadly possibility that just happened in between Marina and Ule here. Now, then they would step back from that. And you see now the potential energy of the arrow has, got, has increased. And the ability to, to get out of the situation has also decreased. Now they have... They'd have to move in together to release the tension that that is that is happening here. And this deadly this deadly uh, dance that they're that they were using. Now, what Ule and Marina were trying to trying to picture was, and what they were trying to describe through this was trust, true true trust between humans. Is the possibility of trust really real in love. Kind of powerful, huh? Now, a part of the demonstration, this was live performance, they would actually have a microphone attached to, uh, to their heart so you could hear their pulse. So for five minutes, they would hold the stance. They would get into the stance and hold it for five minutes. And as the strain of holding the position and, and some of the anxiety that, that's present in all danger, they, they could hear their heartbeat. get stronger because the exertion possibilities are there, right? It's very living, living art, performance art right here. 
But as I was, I went, so one of the pastors describes this, and I just about jumped out of my seat when I heard this. I, I looked it up online, found these pictures to share with you, because it, something about this picture <laughs> that that seemed to me to capture some of the some of the 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 the, the pathos and and uh, and antagonism and and violence that's that is in that's contained in the church and in our personal relationships. What am I talking about? Buried, what my brothers were sharing with me and what I heard worry about and what, what sin brings is the possibility of violence. They say, oh, I'm not a violent person, Chris. I don't, no, 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 hatred is violence. Abandonment and not caring and apathy is violence. Disconnection, disengagements, and all these abandonment things we Violence. We take quick events and resentment at how people hurt us or wound us in the church. I see violence. And maybe you're the one holding the bow, and maybe you're the one holding the arrow, or maybe sometimes you've switched places in different relationships that you're in. But it's a, this image of them holding the bow like this seems to be such a rich picture of how often there's a subtext of violence between us. And that's, that's the subtext of Psalm 133. You see, David lives in a kingdom like these two people. David had spent most of his life fighting for peace, shedding blood to create unity. And so he had seen, and he had seen and tasted some of that devastation that, that existed. He had, a, he, had a, he had an entire kingdom that had been divided by the previous king and his malfeasance and his, and his, and his rejection of God. And, he, and, and people were against him and accused David of, of, of being his own manipulative leader who was trying to take everything. And it was just endless, an endless cycle of violence, even internally. And that violence was so powerful in their culture that David's grandson would inherit it after Solomon, and the whole kingdom would split again. Violence. And so my question is, how does David dare to write this poem? Is this poem merely a rumination, some sort of reflection? Is it merely, uh, let's go back to right now, say like, oh, look and see how good and pleasant it is. Is that, is it simply wistful thinking? So that, so that, you know, he's just, he's just ruminating. Oh, oh, it'd be, it'd be so happy if we were good and pleasant. And these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of sentiments that politicians use, isn't it? And is that all that David's doing? Where is the possibility? Is there real hope for unity? From a man of blood? Is there hope for unity for us as there is a subterranean violence in the church where we resent each other, we get angry at our pastor, we don't like those other people and how much they talk? And is this all waiting to come to some sort of head over wearing masks when we come back to worship? And some people will say, how dare you tell me to wear a mask? And somebody will say, how dare you even suggest that we not wear masks? And people attacking one another's motives and mistrusting each other and giving in to evil suspicion. See, I'm worried. I, I wonder, are we really in this situation here more than we realize? Of course we are. That's the nature of the human heart. And in fact, I'm going to say that David is not merely just reflecting on how nice it is when we all just get along. That's not what he's doing. That's not what he's doing. 
at all. Now, in fact, he proposes something in his images, and this is his poetry, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the poetry here, but don't be afraid of the poetry, because this isn't poetry merely of image. This is poetry that's based upon Old Testament types and types and, 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 and why they exist. Let's take a look here. Like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Let's first Let's first talk about the cultural difference between us. Now, when our president becomes president, what does he do? He opens a book, a Bible, and he puts his hand on it like that, right? Or he raises his hand like this, and, they, and he says an oath. That is not how, that's not how the inauguration happened in the ancient world. In the ancient world, you weren't inaugurated in this abstract fashion. You had stuff poured on your head. I don't have anything I can pour with. This is not empty enough. But I just picture something being poured on that, poured, anointed. And so David takes the inaugurative work, the inaugurative ceremony that everybody in his culture was familiar with, and he draws, he says, there's something there that tells us about the possibility and hope for unity. As he looks, he's looking good to see how pleasant it is. What's it like when brothers well together in unity? And I think what he does here is he, with the genius of the Holy Spirit and his awareness of the Bible. What, what about his awareness of the Bible? Let's well, so this. I just said culturally, this is different. Let's take a look at the actual biblical text that verse two here is referring to. You know, it's referring to something. It's referring to Leviticus eight. So in Leviticus eight, um, uh, Aaron was prepared to be a priest. Prepared to go do the sacrifices. Prepared, in a sense, in a sense, to truly be a mediator for God's people. How are you going to get there? So well, this is what this is what happened. Moses comes with the oil. Again, I want to, something I can pour oil out of, but let's use this. Let's say, well, this is our little oil chalice. He's coming to prepare the pour the oil. He's pouring the oil now. Now, this is what happens in Leviticus eight. First, he pours oil on the altar and on the utensils because there's all this furniture in God's house. Then he pours oil on the tabernacle. That's the temple. Then he pours oil on Aaron, on, on the beer, and on Aaron. And, and of course, it's messy. It's just, it's spilling all over the place. And, 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 that's, and that's who he, he, he takes from this inaugurative moment. But it's not merely another inaugurative moment, is it? When Aaron is christened with the oil, when the utensils and the pieces and the altar furniture and the altar where sacrifices are made is anointed with oil. When the tabernacle where God will live is anointed with oil, it, there's a picture here of something bigger than messy, messy, oily utensils and hair and tabernacle is at work, isn't it? Something else is happening here. And, and and there's two two images there's two images here that that can encourage us and give us in, insight here that, that I, and and draw us into what and draw us into what what David by the Holy Spirit is really saying here because what's this word for being anointed does anybody know what the what the uh, actual Greek word for anointing is it's the word christened christening. And whose name is in the word christened? Christ. Christ, the anointed one, you see? Well, right at this moment, and it, this is mystical and beautiful and magical and wonderful and at, when it's animated by faith. This, this wonderful anointing that's happening 
on, on Aaron is pregnant with the promise of the anointed one himself. The one who purchases, purchases unity and peace in the violence of his own blood. Whoa! <laughs> then you realize that David's talking about the sacrificial system here. Now, why, why does he talk about this sacrificial system? Why does his heart go there when it comes to unity? Because David understood something. He understood his own hands were hands of blood, and his own heart was a heart of violence. But he knew something else, that God had put aside his own violence and made peace with us through a mediator, the mediator Aaron and the priests. And that mediator, that prom, that mediator, Aaron, is just a promise of a true mediator. This is what Hebrews tells us. And the book of Hebrews will open this up for you. That each of these parts and pieces, the anointing, the utensils, the, 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 the sacrificial system itself, and Aaron, they're all pictures and they're all meant to be little advertisements, little images, little, little, little ways of understanding just how much Jesus loves you and what he bought what he bought, how he bought and purchased and forged peace and unity with us. Then at this moment, you're suddenly aware of something, you see. Why is unity possible at first press? Why is unity possible in a church where people are attacking each other so often and have attacked? Or, and, and there's such a violence in the human heart. It's possible... It's possible if it's built on a foundation of God's loving unity with us. <laughs> and and, and this, this, this just pops for me because this, we're going to celebrate the table today. We're going to go to communion. Then this communion, this, this is violent. This is a table of, of body and blood. And violence to our Savior is a way we deal with the violence we feel towards each other. It is, is it, is it takes all that away. It, it, it brings the possibility that we can be transformed into a new people with new hearts that do not thirst and do not crave hate for, for revenge, but that love each other so much we're yielding and loving to one another. We're going to take a look at that in just a second. But God proposes in Jesus to do away with his violence towards us. And that is the foundation of how we can get rid of the violence in us, each for another. What am I talking about here? I'm saying put your trust in Jesus. I'm saying Psalm 133 here, and David's, David's reflection on unity is nothing less than a promise that Jesus can be a savior for you than in me. He can be a savior for us. He can be a, he can be a covering. He, he can deal with the violence in us and remove it and heal it. Heal it with forgiveness and new hearts. Praise him. Put your trust in him. He has come to deal with the violence of your soul. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. I want you to know something here. David gets something here. This is the only way to start in this project. This is the only way to start to have hope for unity. This is the only way that the possibility of unity and peace between us becomes available and real living, because it's built on something objective. It's built on something uh, outside of ourselves. It's built on the action and love of God for us. And so what is it if when, I, when you forgive your wife and you give up your resentment for your husband or, or for your kids or for the, 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 the elder church or for the pastor who didn't talk to you or whatever, because we all have these things. We have all these little, these little grudges we hold and these resentments and these hurts and these wounds. And we need the healing in God 
first so we can stand and heal, be in healing relationship with each other. And David gets it. And David gets that hope's possible even for a man of war. He gets that unity and peace are real things because God's love is in the world in Jesus. And <laughs> he is prophesying Christ here because that's what peace is really like. It's like Jesus. Now, let's keep popping at this because that's the first image. It's the precious oil, the beautiful oil flowing down from that inaugurative moment where God shows his love that he's going to show at the cross. <laughs> okay, well, it gets better. It gets better. There's What's the second image? You probably... It's a very small poem, isn't it? He uses two metaphors. The first is the oil, the, the beautiful oil. And then there's the dew of Hermon. Now, this is kind of interesting. If you go back to Genesis, actually, Hebrew is a very, very poetic language. It's full of elusive suggestion and metaphor. And actually, oddly enough, uh, dew is sometimes referred to in the Bible as the fatness of the earth. <laughs> it's, the, it's the fatness. It's the oil of the ground. And, and you, can, you can almost see how that, that it's a beautiful metaphor for, for dew. Now, we have reports that Mount Hermon, which lies in the northernmost part of Palestine, some 100 miles from Zion, from Jerusalem, and, and that, that Mount Hermon was susceptible and is susceptible. There's a lot of reports you can read about people uh, of being drenched with dew in the morning. It was famous for it. And I, I, don't, I can't verify that or, uh, from there, but that's, there's some report about it. But I, and so, but there's been a lot of speculation. Uh, it's funny reading some people trying to interpret this. Well, dew and dew and oil are like are liquids, and liquids combine. So maybe this is about how we all combine together in unity. And these are that's strange. I, I think it's rather foolish because obviously dew is water and oil is oil, and oil and water don't mix. So that doesn't really make sense. But 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 I want you to hear some of the poetry here. Now, it's like the Dew of Hermon. Now, I've, I've just given you a little geography lesson. Did you notice it? So uh, in, in, in a little, any general map of Palestine, down in the middle of Palestine is Jerusalem. But way to the north, almost next to Syria, is Mount Hermon. And, and it's one of the highest mountains in the area. It's very, very lofty. Even the base of the mountain starts at a very high elevation. So it, it, it rises up high. Now, the point of this geography lesson is that that was a constant thorn in David's side as a king because he had kingdom and he had subjects and tribes that were spread out across a large geographical area and there was antipathy from one clan to the next and one group to the other and there because there was story there was history there had been there had been rape and murder and and theft between it, it created a lot of anger and bitterness and 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 David part of David's great military program was to Consolidate and bring all these king, the kingdom together against outside influences, and then he fights the outside. Now, but this this is interesting. You see, this north south division is so powerful between between Jerusalem and the north that it's that, that, that there's such a difference. It's a lot like our north south division from the Civil War almost. There's such a division between the two that that the division is going to come back out in David's grandson Rehoboam. And, 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 and because it's all there, there's that much bitterness and anger, that much resentment, that much evil suspicion, that much violence in the heart of man, right? Now, so when he talks about the dew of Hermon falling on Mount Zion, what, that can't happen. That doesn't happen physically. And what are you going to do? You know, uh, do, get it? 
what, what are you? How are you gonna do? You're gonna you're gonna gather the dew in buckets and then have people ferry it and carry it down by horse over a hundred miles and pour it on top of Mount. That doesn't make any sense. That's not an irrigation plan that's worth anything. So what is this? What does this mean? I don't think it means anything. But the hope, but the breadth of Christian of God, the unity God, God creates by the Spirit. What am I talking about? I'm talking about people on opposite ends of ge geographical or, or demographic or sociological or racial, or whatever, you, whatever, whatever continuum, liberal, conservative, you, whatever continuum you want to draw, that what David is celebrating is God's unity, the unity that comes from, it's forged, and the Levitical priesthood is what? It's a unity that takes people who wouldn't normally like each other or love each other or serve each other to do what? To be a blessing to one another. What I see in this breadth of unity is a call for the vision of the church. We should be so passionately in love with Jesus, there should never be a political party or a position in this world that would divide you against another brother or sister. And if there is, something is wrong. We have somehow failed to live in the in the unit in the in the unity purchased in the blood of Jesus. And there's a vision, and I, I want us to partake in this vision as a community, as a community of faith. And what's this vision? That we would be able to have within our little community, our little church, people with very different opinions about these things, honoring people whose opinions they think are stupid or wrong, or it doesn't matter. And what do you see here but a beautiful yielding? What Herman is being a blessing to Zion here. And what so when you're a blessing to somebody, there's two things that have to be willing to do. You have to be willing to be a blessing, and that person has to be willing to receive it. And I think that's how we have we ought to be yielding to each other in love like this. And, and, and there's such an opportunity here because when the because something happens when the world sees Democrats and Republicans and people of very different persuasions and sociological strata and, and story, when they get together and they love each other and they live in unity. Can we do it? Is it possible? This is just theory. I don't know. I think there's something really possible here. Uh, there's a, I think there's a possibility when we talk about mask wearing for, for next week, where we are all mutually yielding to a point where we're just willing to do whatever, whatever it is for the person who we think may be nutty about what they think. So we can live in peace and reflect the presence of God. You see, the world can't do this because the world says, you, I, I, will, I will be unified with you if I can have power, and I can, and I, but that's not the way of unity, is it? You have to be willing to give up power. Look, I, I, this, is a, this is a Pennsylvania, this is a Pennsylvania illustration, and I've seen this happen, and, and if you're ever there, you'll see it, you'll see it in the Northeast all over. But once in a while on a country road, the country road will bend and wind and come to a little stream. And these little country roads will come to a stream, and, and there's an old bridge there. And that bridge may have been built in 1750, right? And that bridge is only wide enough for one car. It was built for, for a purpose that it didn't, where there wasn't a lot of traffic, and vehicles weren't big, and it can't pass a truck. Just one car at a time. And if you pull up to that bridge, and so sometimes it's a covered bridge. Those are really pretty. And you can't even see the other side on a covered bridge. You can't see it for somebody over there. And the sign says, yield. So you pull up and, you try, and you're always trying to look to see, is there anybody to yield to as you approach the bridge, as you go into it? 
And you get to the, you go through the red, dun, 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 and you pull off the other side and it's covered bridge. And if you look in the rear view mirror, as you pull away, you know what you'll see? Another sign that says, yield. <laughs> Do you hear it? Do you hear it, brothers and sisters? That Hermon is yielding to Zion and Zion is yielding to Mount Hermon when they shouldn't naturally yield to each other. This is a vision for people of very, very different persuasion, very different perspective, very different attitude, very different opinion, submerging all that to be a blessing to others, to love others. The blessing is cooperation with others, uh, with, with, with otherwise antagonistic people who by should be by nature ill-disposed to working together. Do you see it? Do you see why David, and so the picture here, the geographical picture that David's painting is a perfect way to expand upon the first idea of a spiritual priestly mediation that made this possible. You see? So the possibility of hope for our community exists because God is one with us. He has created a, a possibility of peace. And now with that new piece, there's a new possibility of a community together. And I actually saw that. God has done that in our community from time to time. It's been sweet, sweet, sweet to see men even on the session, radically different political and personal persuasion in unity. In this, if we will do this, we will find ourselves growing and, 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 and having the advantage. Because what's one of the things here? Uh, there's a blessing, right? There's a, there's a, the I am has commanded the blessing. And that's what we're going to look at now. It's finally, so uh, first I want you to see, this is a, um, this is hope for unity in Jesus. You see, there's hope for unity in, in David's poem. And it's just like that. It's, it's a hope built upon the anointing, uh, 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 the, the, the anointed one himself, Jesus. It's a hope that has a breadth of possibility that disparate and very different and very antagonistic people can be a blessing to each other. That happens in my father's kingdom, in our father's kingdom. Let it happen amongst us. Let it happen here in San Francisco. But let's go to the last one. And there's an extravagance. And this is where the poetry itself, I want you to see it. Did you hear it? Uh, here's, here's a picture here. Well, it looked, it, it's, it's gorgeous. It's everywhere. But there's that abundance, isn't there? There's something about the oil being precious and good and valuable. It, it, it kind of hints towards that. Um, you picture, remember the, uh, remember the immoral woman, the prostitute who anoints Jesus's feet? You can figure she must have read this maybe. Like there's something there, like this idea of anointing. And, and it's rich with, uh, as, as a gesture of love and honor and beauty, right? Mm. And there's all these poetic, these biblical images popping all over the place here. But what I want you to see is the pure extravagance of our Father's love. There is an extravagance in our unity. What do I mean? It's everywhere. There's an extravagance that, first of all, that just, that, that means this is where God has commanded his blessing. <laughs> where, if you look at this, this word there, you know, what's it referring to? What's its antecedent? Is it the mountains of Zion? Is it, is it uh, in the moment of the, 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 the anointing of Aaron? Is it, is it, is it, the, is it Hermon? Is it, and I think, you know, I think if you look back, look, look at the first, look, look at the opening words of the, of the poem. Look and see. And this is the answer for there the I am is commanded the blessing. It's the place of unity. And this is beautiful. Listen, listen to how righteous and powerful our God is. Listen to it because we're going to hear it again in just a second. The I am, the King of Kings, the Lord Almighty commands his blessing. 
to go places where unity is happening. A unity built on the mediatorial work of Christ? Yes. A unity built in the breadth of the kingdom? Yes. He commands his blessing. You know, this is actually repeated. Sometimes I even wonder, I speculate, I, I wonder, I ruminate when Christ began his preaching. When he, Christ began his preaching, did our Savior think about these, this poem? I think so. When, when Jesus said this, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Isn't he right there? Isn't he right there in Matthew 5, verse 9? Isn't he right there when he pronounces blessedness? Isn't he reiterating? Isn't he applying Psalm 133? He's, he's applying the poem. The I am commands his blessing. Jesus commands it. Blessed are the peacemakers. Let's get the blessing. There's an extravagance. There's an extravagance in God's blessing that he, that he commands it for us. And I don't know if that's you. That the idea that we have a God who doesn't just merely command how you're supposed to live or command what you're supposed to do or somehow, but he commands blessing. <laughs> this is rich. This is full of extravagance. And the extravagance gets more. There's a, there's a, it's good and it's pleasant and it's precious. And in fact, you, you, you get it's visible. First of all, look at it. It's look and see. Look, look how extravagant. This, this, this love is so extravagant. You will be able to see it. And so will this generation in this world. There's something visible that happens in the unity that God makes because nobody can, nobody can explain it. Nobody can interpret it. Nobody can explain it away because it comes from God and reveals his glory in the world. Look and see. It'll be visible amongst us. It'll be good and pleasant and precious. There's something abundant here. Like it's running down the road. There's this idea of like super abundant presence of God in this. That's really precious. The abundance continues to kind of to, get, to, 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 to grow into what? The sense of overflow to what? Life forevermore. There's a common false teaching in our generation that, that the Hebrews and the Jews of the Old Testament did not have an idea of heaven, and that is hogwash, and it's unbiblical, and it does not match the poetic longings of David, which is eternal life. You see, he has eternal life in mind here. And eternal life is the possession of those who live in unity. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow. The biggest blessing of God, the biggest blessing of who he is in his love, of his person, is for us when this is what's happening. Man, it, you know what this tells me? This tells me we need to chase and seek and live and want, and pray, and build, and, and value above all of this unity, you see. Because it is the advent of eternity itself. <laughs> Who would have thought that, that so much would be at stake, or so much would be available in his love? This is so precious. I, I, there's so much here. Goodness, pleasantness, overflow, beautiful joy and blessedness. But I want you to hear something here. I want to end with this. I want to, I want to, I want to bring this. I want, to, I want to quote one of my best friends from this week. That's what Mikhail said. His greatest concern about Zoom worship, he said, was this. We have made it convenient to be disobedient. 
He's like, Chris, I haven't been disobedient. I've been, I'm attending Zoom. I've, 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 but no, no, but he said something else. And he's talking about his own processes they had opened up. And what he had discovered is a lot of people were using the, 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 their, their different concerns as a way of saying, I'm not joining with you in worship. And that, that, that frightens me. Because the Zoom, this, the, the Zoom medium, as I told you, God, our Father is greater than it. But there can never be anything less than us living together, dwelling and that is flesh. That is life on life. That is heart to heart. That is body to body. That is face to face. And we, and even though Zoom has been provided for us and provided for anybody who needs it, who cannot make it to worship, it cannot become a substitute for real serious connection and involvement with each other. Why? Because when we dwell together in true unity, which will be, which will have this fleshly personal dimension to it. We're hoping for all the extravagance, you see, <laughs> the extravagant overflow running down all over us of God's love. Tasting and eating and tasting in this table together. We don't separate it alone. We celebrate it together, right? Tasting in here, the end of our violence and the violence done to Jesus. What a wonderful Savior. And so I, I, I get concerned. We, can, we have made this year, and by necessity, we have made disengagement and disconnection and distance, we've made those things convenient and easy. But let's not, let's beware in our hearts as this season comes to an end that we have to return to a new passion for each other, a new sacrificial love, a new presence with each other that hopes for the unity that the Holy Spirit brings. You know, I, the Holy Spirit isn't even mentioned here, but I'm going to mention him anyway, because we know he's the one that brings this unity. And we'll see it in our readings this week, if you read the uh, suggested readings, that this, this anointing, this anointing running and overflow, this all the hope for this, well, this, this is all breathing, isn't it? It's all pulsing. Uh, the subtext is here, what? The Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit's got this work. The Holy Spirit will take us, and he'll give us hope for unity in the mediatorial work of God, won't he? And the Holy Spirit will do the work of a breadth of believers who are very, very separate, whether, whether demographic or social or political, can live together in mutual commitment and love. And finally, we'll experience the, that overflow and extravagance by the Spirit. So let's pray. Oh, dearest Father, we thank you for our worship. We, we thank you that we... We have this, these moments. We're here together over this over this medium, and and I, I know for me, I I know for the other people have said it too. We have tasted your presence. We we have known you're here, and we have made every effort, Father, to to do Zoom live so we would be present as much as we can be with each other. So we would have that fleshly presence with each other. Um, Father, uh, forgive us if 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 for 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 uh, any any way that which our hearts. Start, have backed away from sacrificing and loving others and, and have become content with distance and disconnection and disengagement. We don't want that, Father. But do, do the work. <laughs> we want to be able to, we want to join, we want to join David and, and, and someday sitting in the back of church. Or look at, say, look and see. Look at, take a look here. How beautiful it is when brothers live together. How good and pleasant when the brothers and sisters live together in unity. We know, you know what it's like? <laughs> oh, it's like Jesus. We ask you to command that blessing, even life forevermore. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.